What's up, you sexy, gorgeous human animals? Welcome to Hangry and Horny with your host, Tony Flo Real. If it sounds like I'm a little stuffed up or that I have a swollen tongue, and I have a swollen tongue, it's because I do. <laughs> yeah, I just had a head cold that uh, now I'm finally clearing up. And last night, I bit my damn tongue eating dinner. So the side of my tongue's really swollen and I feel like I have like this gigantic muscle in my mouth. At least it's that nothing else. <laughs> I'm at Ocean Beach, San Francisco, California. It's my favorite place to tune in to nature. And, you know, sometimes wake up, feel a little out of sync. And the reason is we are out of sync. We're just bombarded with all kinds of crazy noises. In our environment, whether it's Wi-Fi, cell phones, satellite, solar flares, radio signals, our own signals from our chaotic, static mind. So I just come to Ocean Beach to do some exercise. I usually run, get that exercise-induced endorphin pump for my brain. And the reason I do that is because I want to give you guys my best. I want to give the world my best and... Anytime I do these intros for Hangry and Horny and I don't tune in to nature, both inside and out, intrinsic and extrinsic, I believe those are the words, interior, exterior, inside and out, I'm just trying to tune this instrument, this human body of ours, as a way to really get in sync with the signals of flow and... I feel amazing after I exercise. I just did some kettlebell swings. I even did some uh, juggling with it. And uh, really just get my brain firing. Uh, I ran to the cliff house and back. Did a little stretching on the sand. It was the basically barefoot. Getting that earthing, grounding going on. And then finally I just uh, let my legs soak in water. I was actually exercising the other day. And I was getting bitten alive by mosquitoes. So a bunch of welts on my legs. So I just actually put my legs in the water and let that feel good. So, yeah. Speaking of tuning to the environment and tapping into flow states, we got the next Magic Flow Bus in Santa Cruz, California on July 21st and 22nd. And what we do is we get together as a group, a community, a tribe of people that are into just being their best, you know, optimizing their body, their minds, their spirit, connecting with other human beings that are on the same wavelength, on the same page about, you know, giving our best to the world and to ourselves. So we basically created a whole 12 plus hours day of flow activities, things like yoga, Wim Hof breathing, cold immersion and ice. Uh, sauna sometimes we basically curate every event uh, based on the application so if you are interested in attending magic flow bus uh, go to magicflowbus.com uh, put in your email address you'll be sent an application so that we can curate this event um, we're even considering doing archery uh, that's a possibility there's going to be a lot of cool 
healing modalities, technologies there, biohackers who are interested in that, you should come and attend. We have uh, usually a lot of health professionals, medical doctors, chiropractors, massage therapists, uh, physiotherapists, acupuncturists, medicine, oriental medicine doctors. There's all kinds of people that attend this event, uh, business professional, corporate types, uh, athletes, and just day-to-day people that just, you know, are regular human beings like you and I. So check out magicflowbus.com and uh, hope to see you at that next event on July 21st and 22nd, 2018. So before I get to my next guest, I want to give the sponsor of the show a shout out. And what's really cool is speaking of flow and getting in sync with the environment. When I was interviewing my next guest at Stanford University, uh, we went decided to do the podcast outdoors right by the uh, iconic Stanford building there. I don't know what that building's called, but it's pretty much like at the center of Stanford. And uh, we were sitting on the bench just wrapping up that next this next episode that you're going to listen to. And a guy shout out from the distance and says that he likes my shirt. And basically, I was wearing an F-Bomb shirt. So F-Bomb sponsors Hangry and Horny. They're a nut butter company that makes macadamia-based nut butters. Super delicious. Easy to take on the go. Easy to eat as a snack, as a light meal that doesn't bog you down. It's made out of really good, healthy fats and uh, has a tearaway patch, a packet that uh, you just rip the top after kneading it a little bit just to mix up the uh, the fat and the oils. And then uh, you just, you know, drop it down, drop an F-bomb down your pipe. And uh, so delicious. I want to give a shout out to Ross and Care, the... Uh, the, basically the inventors, the makers of F-Bomb. They're awesome people. Go to dropanfbomb.com. Check out their different nut butters that they have. So many different varieties. They're just so yummy. And on your first order, use the coupon code FLOWREAL. And uh, just type in F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L. And I'll give you 20% off of your first order of F-Bomb nut butters. So anyways, I went off on a tangent there, tangent. And uh, this guy just reached out, says he loves my shirt. Uh, He basically uh, is a jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. And he uses F-Bomb as fuel for his jiu-jitsu before and after guy's name is Ryan so I want to give a big shout out to Ryan but it was just incredible synchronicity because F-Bomb is the sponsor of Hangry and Horny and I'm wearing this shirt I'm repping it and uh, there's a guy that's a big fan of F-Bomb that came over said hi and if you want to see a picture of Ryan and I just go to my Instagram at T-O-N-E-F-L-O-R-E-A-L and uh, you'll see a picture of Ryan, and you can be able to, uh, yeah, just go there. You'll see us. Uh, 
So, thank you, F-Bomb, for sponsoring Hangry and Horny. And uh, my next guest I was introduced to by a dear friend and movement practitioner, coach. Uh, I, I would consider him a strength and conditioning coach. He was a former guest on uh, my earlier version of the podcast, which was called uh, Flow Real TV, uh, Talking Stories. And his name is Austin Einhorn. And I had interviewed Austin and his uh, other athlete tennis player, Xander Centenari. And, uh, you know, Austin, I met through just the uh, Flow Genome Project advanced workshop that we had at Esalen. Just thought he was a really amazing human being. And uh, we got to know each other. And eventually he, he took me over to Stanford University to introduce me to my next guest, Corey Schlesinger. Corey, I hope I got your name right there again. <laughs> kind of hard when I'm plugged up and I got a swollen tongue. But uh, yeah, I met Corey Schlesinger and uh, I just loved his energy. Uh, super cool dude down to earth. Uh, not typical in that whole athletic strength and conditioning world. There can be a lot of egos there, but, you know, true to his nature, you know, Corey's from the South of, uh, you know, just Southern boy. And it's actually pretty funny because, you know, his wife is just a sweetheart. She's, you know, I met her like a couple times and she's she's always adamant about him not swearing on these kind of episodes here of my uh podcasting and and uh yeah it's hilarious because i try to get him to swear the entire time and he didn't at least for as far as i remember so yeah it's pretty cool and uh yeah Corey has this really cool concept that's been uh i guess it's it's being trendy now in the psychedelic world but he uses the concept of, of microdosing like in medicine but in for strength and conditioning and using uh, exercise as medicine to create a therapeutic response in the body so i thought that was a really fascinating concept that you know is now permeating the uh, athletic strength and conditioning world that you know you only use enough exercise to create the response of of i would call it uh you know flomeostasis this this state of flow that where we really feel amazing and not to over push or tax the body which has its time and place for uh certain situations and adaptations for training but i love the idea of microdosing in strength and conditioning and Corey gets into this and uh you know a lot of uh apologies for the background noise if you do hear some uh, you know we were doing this podcast in my favorite environment outdoors uh in nature near trees but there are a lot of people walking by and and uh, cars you know driving by so apologies for the background noise and so let's get straight into it a big introduction to the savage gentleman Corey Schlesinger everybody Enjoy. Peace.
Corey, what's up, man? Tony, what's good, man? How we doing? <laughs> Welcome to Hangry and Horny. Dude, I'm pumped. We are at Stanford University. Yes, sir. Beautiful trees, beautiful weather, beautiful people, man. Oh, man, summertime. <sighs> it's too good. So it's too good, good, man. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. No, it's an honor, man, Tony. I've known you for years, man, so it's glad to, we can do something together. I'm pumped. Yeah. So help me pronounce your name. Yeah, no worries. Because <laughs> so I actually was, like, driving here, and I was, like, saying it. So I'm going to try. Yeah, give it a go. Uh, Corey uh, Schesslinger. Man, you're so off, it's ridiculous. No, I'm <laughs> so you're pretty close. Schlesinger. Schlesinger. That easy. Schlesinger. Schlesinger. There it is. All Boy. right, brother. That's why I don't have my athletes call me Coach Schlesinger. Just Coach or Corey or Ball Dude, whatever. Just don't call me Schlesinger. It's way too much of a mouthful, especially when you're so. <laughs> How about Slash? Slash? Yeah, Slash Strength. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I go by Slash a lot, too. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. So you've been here for how long in Stanford for the uh, men's basketball and also men's golf? Yep. So we're going into our third season. Okay. Yeah, so so beautiful <laughs> yeah so what's the background like how did you get into strength and conditioning yeah. uh you know where are you from yeah for sure so i mean for me it all started i think like most strength coaches it comes from that superficial like oh i'm a little guy or oh i'm insecure so i gotta lift weights i gotta you know give myself security i gotta give myself strength or whatever right just to make yourself confident so you know it started with me at a really young age but i was like a buck 30 a buck 35 when I started and it was my mother that got me into it wow. uh, my mom was training in the Nautilus gym that was downtown Hillsville Virginia and so we started there and that's the epicenter of Nautilus that's where so was... Nautilus is about an hour away like the actual factory where all the Nautilus equipment was made okay but they had this weird like I guess it was like a pop-up shop if they, I don't think they called it pop-up shops back then, but it was just... Like a, demo, demo like, shop. Yeah, yeah like a showroom. Yeah, that was probably the best way to put it. Yeah. Okay. And so it was just this really just machine. I mean, machines for days. Yeah, <laughs> and, lots of machines. Yeah, I mean, with the chains. Like, you remember those machines? Yeah, like, man. That, that's how it was. And so... Wow. So uh, your mom brought you there. So my mom brought me there. And it wasn't for like, oh, my puny kid. No, it was like, that's what my mom did. Okay. And my mom got yoked. I mean, like, what was her background then? So my mom's an artist actually so she uh <laughs> which reminds me i saw your instagram together where you oh, guys were, were like dancing? ballroom dancing so, yeah, she's an amazing dancer yeah. so she she picked up dancing later in life believe it or not and she's just tremendous at it but my mom's an artist and in all forms and so she was actually like in the air force for a long time and then went the art route which I mean, that's pretty random, right? right. Uh, but she was very successful in her arts. Uh, and so what I guess... What kind of arts? Like, so uh, she created, uh, you know, like, all right, this is the best way to put it. During Christmas time, you go to these Christmas stores and you see all these little trinkets. That's what she creates. Okay. So she created all these, like, seasonal gifts. Um, and then she got into some interior design. Uh, but that's what she's known for mainly. And she does some... She did a lot of cool work with the Lion King back in the day as far as, like, developing some of their gift wear. And so she had, some, she had a lot of success when I was younger. So I had, like, one of those kind of overprivileged uh childhoods i grew up very very good Listen, are you I, saying you're white privileged dude, dude? white privilege. <laughs> and man did that smack me in the face later in life. But <laughs> yeah yes i grew up as white privilege now really really young not so much but it was like one of those come up overnight deals right and um and it was all driven by my mom and so that's cool but yeah she was an artist and who got jacked <laughs> She so, got jacked, so she dude. took you to this showroom. Yeah, and we just started, and I started, started training pumping there. iron. Yeah, basically, you yeah. know, we were just lifting, and um, that's the way it kind of got the bug in me early. Okay, and then um, I was passionate about basketball, so my idea I was preparing for the sport, 
And um, that's where I, that was kind of my artistic expression because remember the And One mixtape? Yeah. I mean, that was like all the flashy moves and all that, no look passes, all the crazy dribbling. Like, that's what I found my passion in. I didn't care about the actual game. I didn't care about okay. scoring. So, like, freestyle, creativity. Yeah, that's what I cared about. I cared about all the cool. I mean, I wanted the crowd to go ooh and ah more so than wins and losses. And so, for me, that's where my passion came from. And that's kind of like my expression or my dance. So, in some ways, it was like the break dancing of basketball. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was, to be honest with you, like probably the big, not the biggest waste of my time, but it's it, the later, later on in life, I look at it, I'm like, man, if I would have just actually honed skill, I might have been okay at basketball. Okay. But, you know, the level I was playing at um, in high school, I was able to stand out, and I was offered a scholarship to play at Berea College, small little school in Kentucky. And I was lowest level of college basketball, so, like, you know, not like we're competing for national championships. Or right, right, like but still basketball but stayed basketball, cute, yeah. You know, it was a free education. You know, in my head, I wasn't even going out to college, to be honest with you. So that offered me a way out of coal mining country. And so went down to Kentucky, and um, that's where I realized what basketball actually was. <laughs> and so, yeah, that, that style didn't really pan out too well, but I was pretty stubborn. So, you know, I didn't, I, I was that kid. I was that really selfish, uh, very arrogant, and, uh, you know, thought my way was right. And to be honest with you, I think that's what got me into coaching. It was okay. because it manifested later, like, wow, like I see that guy. And I see that guy a lot. And so when I've trained my athletes over throughout, throughout the years, I'm like, oh, my God, that's me. Like that selfish kid. Like, oh, man, that kid who it's about him. Like, no, man, like that was me. So maybe I can help his experience because I didn't have that great of a college basketball experience. Well, number one, I really wasn't that good. But I could have been a damn good teammate. I could have been, you know, um, great for our culture, uh, whatever culture we had. But, you know, I just I wasn't that dude. It was about me. And that's where I'm like, you know what? I wish I, I wish I could go back in the hands of time and do it different, mm -hmm. but it made me very aware of who I was and who I ended up being. So it, it helped. It helped to my development. So what was the part that broke down that egocentricity about you? Like what humbled your ass? Oh man, just not playing. You know, I mean, to be honest with you, like I was so in my head because I wasn't playing it was like coach didn't like the way I played. So it's coach's fault. Like. It ain't my fault. I didn't listen to coach, but, you know, so now I'm going to rebel. And now I'm going to do it even more and try to prove him wrong, opposed to adapting, opposed to taking criticism. So for me, I didn't actually experience that humbleness until after college. Like I, 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 unfortunately, that never manifested for me while I was playing the sport. And so it, it came later when, you know, I got involved in strength and conditioning. I just thought it was a cool deal. I was like, man, like, yeah, get to pick up weights. Awesome. I get to train high-level athletes. Awesome. You know, I wanted to go the physical therapy route, but it was just too boring. Like, mm -hmm. those clinicals, no thank you, you know. So a lot of suffering. A lot. But, you know, I loved lifting weights, and that's where I found homage, if you will. Like, during that struggle, I liked preparing for the game of basketball more than actually playing the game of basketball. So that's where I found you know, my home or my homeostasis. Like that's where I was able to, okay, this is home for me. So, so I trained and then, you know, I was very fortunate to get involved in internships at a very early age. I was at Wake Forest University with Ethan Reeve, amazing human being. Like that's where I started what, what real physical education was it started for me with him. And then I was lucky to work with Jonas Serration at, uh, UNC Chapel Hill and he's I mean brilliant by all means and so he's the one who shaped my my my, my thought process and basically who I've become today so 
So through, let's let's yeah. go back to like Ethan Reeves now. Yeah. Like so yeah. you decide you want to become like strength and conditioning coach. Right. Yeah. And um how did you find out about him? And and this field is usually like pretty competitive. They don't just like let random dudes come in. Absolutely. You know, like especially a program like his. Right. I was very random. <laughs> so I was eighteen years old applying for internships. Now my school did something, to be honest with you, my education at Berea was fantastic, but the best part about Berea was they would pay for me to go do these experiences. So during the summer, I'd get A class credit and they would pay me like I was working for the school. So it was a, I was able to support myself to do this journey, which was, I mean, you don't see that anywhere else. Like it, it was beautiful how they set that up. But um, for Ethan, I mean, I, I sent out well over 50 emails to division one schools asking if they needed help for the summer. Can I volunteer? My school pays for it. So you don't have to pay me like, and he was the only one that got back to me. So you did a shotgun resume. hundred percent. It okay. was double shotgun blast. Boom. Like it, yeah. It's the only way. I didn't know how else to do Double it. barrel. Double barrel, man. Shotgun. <laughs> but it worked. You know, I mean, it was one out of 50, but it worked. And I couldn't be more happy, especially looking back. Because at the time, I didn't know. I was like, who is Ethan Reed? Like, this is the only guy that got back to me, so I got to go do you it. You got to do it, but right? But now I look back, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I could have started with anyone. And the next thing I know, I become a hit guy or I become a, you know, a functional guy. Like he could have shaped my thought process at such an early age where I could have went down a whole different avenue than where I'm at today. Yeah. So, so there are these paradigms that are in strength and conditioning. Absolutely. But Ethan Reeves, of all people, yeah. gave you this foundation that enabled you to like kind of express your talents and gifts now a hundred percent i mean i still do the same things that i saw my very first day there i mean i saw 300 pound fat dudes doing cartwheels and tumbling and i thought that was the most ridiculous thing i'm like why are they doing that he goes Corey, every play somebody falls in football don't you think they need to know how to fall and i was like oh i didn't hear it then but years later i'm like that's the most brilliant thing i've ever heard and that's what you know i've become kind of my niche was all these tumbling series being in the wrestling room some jujitsu training like utilizing all these different tools to prepare my athletes for the worst case scenarios not necessarily training them for performance yeah yeah so you basically provide them a uh, resiliency that's the goal mainly i just give them a movement library that they have access to at any point so when they're in sketchy situations they at least have experienced something like it mm -hmm. so that okay, this ain't too bad or this isn't so foreign and that hopefully it provides them a better alternative or a better exit strategy instead of a one-legged plant with twisting motion and we all know what that is. Right, right. So in basketball, guys going up for oh, like man. a dunk and, you know, some dudes like standing there to get charged. 100%. But he like ducks or something and the guy just like cartwheels over. Exactly. So you're like showing them like how you can basically like make that split decision. For sure. Midair. It's like ninja training essentially. Mm -hmm. But also it, it's just motor learning. It's physical education. Like in the state of our existence now, I mean, kids specialize so early. They don't know how to do jumping jacks. Like they don't even know how to skip rope. They don't know how to get on the monkey bars and they don't they don't they're put in these bubbles where they can only do a certain amount of patterns and so this is what happens they end up terrible athletes they may have one or one or two good athletic qualities but as far as like being a true athlete they're terrible
like absolutely terrible so you're at a place where you know you have like time constraints these are like long seasons you know even the off season is not truly an off season anymore you know and so you're at a place where you have like limited time with these players um second they're basketball players so they're like long levers that are like totally different human beings than like you and i per se for sure you know so you have to like figure out a way to train them differently like how how is it that you approach basketball players versus like people under six foot three or something right now that's a really good question what i try to do is at the end of the day they're still human so i don't care if you have a seven foot two wingspan and you're six six like you're still human. So what are things that made humans bigger, faster, stronger? Well, I think we can all agree some Olympic lifts or some Olympic variations have made people pretty powerful. So I want to do that. Uh, power lifters, you know, squatting and deadlifting. Yeah, that makes guys pretty strong. So I want to do that. I just got to find a way to make it successful for them, for their levers. So I have assistance in some form or fashion. Now, I have some guys that are actually really impressive. I mean, I have a seven-footer who squats all the way down. I got a seven-footer who snatches, cleans. I mean, is, the, is the, the unicorn, if you will, of tall athletes who can do it all. And then I have short guys who can't do any of it. So it, it's a weird, um, it's an eclectic group, especially in basketball, because they're so stiff because they play on these hardwood surfaces. And once again, they specialize so early, so they're underdeveloped in so many different aspects and areas. So, but as far as training them, like super different, um, I utilize some pretty special equipment, like the center mass bells from Sornex. They're phenomenal tools. Um, I love the snatch. I love the clean. But I can use those bells, or I can use like the athletic platform from Westside. I could load their hips and still get the same type of stress or stimulus that I'm looking for that I can get from the Olympic lifts or that I can get from the traditional power lifts, but make it special for that kid so that they can be successful and that, number one, they can play the game. Because at the end of the day, they're not weightlifters. They're basketball players. No one's ever put a squat rack at half court and whoever squatted the most weight wins the game of basketball. That's never happened. Now, if that does happen, we will train very different. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. to this point, I just got to find the lifts that are successful for them. So our approach is very holistic, but I prioritize, excuse me, I prioritize the, the lifts that I know will make them bigger, faster, stronger. And then from that point, we regress them to fit their need. And then hopefully we can progress back to what the purest form of it is. Okay, so you're looking at them as a human being. Absolutely. So you're training them on ways to like learn how to uh, make fast decisions, yep. midair if they have yeah. to, right, to right. prevent injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're also looking at like their body types, mm-hmm. and then you're training them to get bigger, faster, stronger based on like the constraints that you have as a strength coach working in this kind of world. Right. And um, college, because there's like different rules now, right? That you're saying yeah there's a ton i mean now it used to be eight hours that i had with the kid each week now it's only up to four now the coach can let me have more hours that are from basketball but as of right now i'm working anywhere between four and if i'm lucky six hours a week with a kid so that's not a lot of time especially when you're trying to prepare them from a season that lasts anywhere between six to seven months so it's kind of becoming the nfl where the nfl now doesn't even have an off season so right. these poor strength coaches are trying to prepare them in the shortest amount of time, and they're adding games to their schedule. Yep. So you wonder why injuries are at the highest rate ever. Right. It's, nothing's changed. You know, don't get me wrong. Equipment may have made kids faster, or the environment's a little bit different. But at the same time, like, 
it's exposure to sports. Mm-hmm. Like it's like rolling the dice. The more times I roll the dice, the more opportunities I have to roll snake eyes. So maybe if I didn't have so many attempts to, you know, roll the dice or more opportunities to prepare for the sport, then maybe I'm not going to roll snake eyes as often. Right. And so that's how I look at it. And so we do something very interesting um, in our setting to combat that. And so we do this thing called microdosing in season. So in our off season, you know, I'm only allowed to train them anywhere between three to four times a week given the hours but when we get in season kind of flip the model so in traditional basketball or even traditional football they don't train as often in season or they go through what i still think is the most ridiculous term but these maintenance stages right i don't think any human organism can maintain it's rather you're getting faster you're not getting faster you're getting stronger or you're not getting stronger like this maintaining ideas i don't know i I just I don't buy it because okay. there's too many factors that are involved to make someone faster or more cognitive or, you know, things of that such. So they need that stimuli somehow. Exactly. So right. I look Exposure. at it like this. My guys are undertrained. Motor learning, they, they don't know how to train. So I just need to give them exposure to controlled training stimuluses. So when we're in season, we actually train every single day that they participate in basketball. So in season, they're participating in basketball five to six times a week. So we do it in small dosages though. So we'll get a nice little warm up in, and then we're only focusing on one major lift that day. So it's almost like a readiness testing as well. So from that point, I have their numbers or our documented numbers for them and we'll work and it's open-ended set. So it's like, hey, how do you feel today? Do you feel, hey, let's push it. Does it feel good? Good. Hey, you look good. Let's keep pushing. Hey, you know what? It doesn't look so good. Let's back off a little bit. And so from that point, I can have a sheet to take the coach and be like, hey, man, you know, half of our guys aren't looking too hot today. You know, their trap bar deadlift. Yeah, they looked heavy today. So what does that tell us? We probably need to be a little bit easier in practice today. So how about we back off, do a lot more teaching or, yo, coach, guys were hype in the weight room big session today guys were pumped cleans were great hey coach let it ride today's a good day let's go so it's our way of controlling our environment because look i have them in a controlled environment first great now if i take them to a dynamic environment and don't know what's going on it's probably gonna get magnified right right so that's where i have a quote-unquote readiness testing within our strength training and plus that small exposure is not going to kill a kid even if we hit a max effort weight so we can continuously push the envelope every day because it's just a small exposure of it. That's cool. So I'm seeing a lot of like real time, like instant feedback. Yes. You're paying attention. You're Absolutely. aware like how your players are performing that day, how they feel. Um, and then you're like corresponding, communicating with the head coach yeah. so that you guys have a relationship that you can be open and like be able to work together and help each other out. Whereas right. like, no, that that doesn't always happen in, in sports or even organizations. With, it's rare. There's a lot of egos, right? So I had that background in strength and conditioning yep, back in sure the do, days, Tony. right? You sure do. And uh, that's why I can speak the language. Right. Um, but that was one of my biggest frustrations in the early days with like the egos that were involved with like maybe trying to like keep their jobs or right. there's a lot of pressure to like win, right? right. Which is true. For sure. And um, so a lot of insecure insecurities coming out and I I like this environment that you found yourself in so let's go back to Ethan Reeves yeah yeah and like let's talk about how it evolved from there 
you know, because we were talking about how your ego got broken down. Yeah. And, uh, well, I mean, it was humbling to, you know, Ethan being exposed to that type of high level environment. I mean, ACC football, like they were actually in bowl games at that time. Like they were, there were some dudes there. And so I was involved in the lifts. Like Ethan threw me in the fire. He's like, ah, right, Corey, you want to experience this. And bro, like I had legit like NFL middle linebackers chasing me down during some of these drills. And I'm sitting like, yo, like that is humbling. Those are real athletes. So for me, that's where I had to take a step back. And it's like, dang, man, maybe, maybe I don't have this down. You know, now in basketball, I still couldn't even hear it. And I still couldn't hear it until much later. Like when I was interning with Jonas, that's when I like, you know, you have one experience, you know, like, yeah, I got, I know strength and conditioning. Jonas from? Uh, from North Carolina. Okay. So I was like, yeah, I know, I know strength and conditioning. And my first day there, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to impress this guy. I'm a, I'm a clean today, you know, because, you know, clean's the big lift, right? If you're yeah. a good technical cleaner, then, hey, you might know something about strength. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to clean today. And I hit one clean, you just hear, what the f- Oh, shit. <laughs> dude what is that and I'm like oh sh- I should have benched today like <laughs> so that's when it, that was a humbling experience because it's something that I really thought I, I knew and I was good at but in reality I was too I was 19 20 years old and I had one or two years of experience like yeah you know, I think was it like a giant reverse curl or what dude it was it was bad. it was the five star you know like the or the you know the jumping jack with the reverse oh, curl. yeah know? but I had some pop though you know but it's yeah, yeah, terrible yeah you know? so accelerated exactly yeah, yeah. And, but so from that point he took me under his wing and that's when I, I understood his attention, not to detail in the sense of like militaristic, like, oh, sets, reps, percentages, this. No, like, hey, quality human movement, like that trumps everything. Forget load, forget all this. Like, look at the movement. Who cares what the weight on the bar is? Yeah, does From it that, look graceful? Exactly. A hundred percent. Like, that's where a lot of people don't, <sighs> graceful is probably the best word. Or natural, yeah. you know. And that's, and once again, ta- training tall athletes, look, it's got to look natural. If they're super long and big and you're trying to teach them a clean and you get to the point where you're like, you know what? It will never be natural for them. Bail. Find something else. So we'll do a version of a clean that we do with a trap bar. And I know you're thinking, like, how do you rack a trap bar? <laughs> yeah. But it's just the intent behind it. Right. So we still pull it like a clean and we still land like we're catching a clean. Oh, but cool. But the bar doesn't move. Right. So it's the same intent. Yeah. You know? And to be honest with so you, So you get vertical, Heck yeah. but you pop those feet out. Heck yeah. Okay. Just bam. Yeah. Get that landing. So yeah. now I got that eccentric load that we're looking for because that's what we like for that, or that yielding, that breaking force right. that we're looking for in a clean. So, ah, instead of just doing the trap bar speed pull or something like that. Nah, we get the whole enchilada, but they can't rack it. That's totally fine. And you know what? And, and, it, and that takes me to another point. What I love about my environment now at Stanford is, number one, it's because of my sport coach. Like Jared has allows me to do these things. I wouldn't be able to go down this rabbit hole if he was asking me for numbers. I have never, so this is going into our sixth season together, I have never reported a number to him. I have never said, hey, coach, a guy, this is what the guys are cleaning, or this is the guy's body fat percentage. He's, he's like, Corey, I trust you. Do you. And so from that point, I have all the autonomy in the world. So when I bring up the idea of, hey, coach, I'm going to train the guys every single day in basketball, he didn't bat an eye. He just let me do it. And so from that point, um, I allow the athletes, that environment, to create autonomy. And you got to earn autonomy. So once we get towards the end of season, especially in our January, February, March, it's, hey, man, how do you feel today? We need a pretty good load. What do you want to do? And now the athlete is steering the ship. He knows what works for him. 
because now his intent is there. Oh, and now I got power because I get to choose. Wow. You give the power of choice to an athlete in an environment where they don't get to make any choices whatsoever yeah, in their life. they're told what to do. Exactly. Right. Man, it goes so far. So now, like, don't get me wrong. We can clean all day. We can squat all day. And I'm like, hey, man, you hit X percentage at X speed. You got that adaptation. I argue that because I think there is such like a, maybe spiritual is the wrong word, but there is this level of, a, a deeper level of training to where, man, I believe this works. And you know what? It doesn't matter what speed on the bar was. It doesn't matter. I feel like this works. And so, you know what? This is the lift that works for me. I want to do that. And I execute it at a high level because my intent is there. So when you have that, I mean, what else do you want? You know, why, why do I need to report a number? Yeah. That kid is confident. He is relatively strong. And he's expressing force at the time of year where everybody's tired. Right. Where everybody's under or fatigued. That's a win. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where, hey, get rid of all these like restrictive measures like you need to report these numbers and blah 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 and it's like dude it's there's too many factors involved Mm -hmm. to say this is going to happen on this date now if we're in track and field i totally get it but we're in team sports i mean a kid gets like his girl breaks up with him or he got an f on a test or he can't sleep like especially here at stanford geez man these kids are studying so much or they're in these new environments where now they're not the smartest kid in the room Mm. right like that's a whole nother fact so these are all the things that are stirring around in their holistic stress pot and then i'm going to tell them what percentage they should lift that weight at today get get out of here right that's that's ridiculous yeah so you got to find what's in the tank that day and you call it flexible periodization you can call whatever you want but essentially it's just training humans in Mm -hmm. in an environment that you can't control right that's it Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of emphasis on intrinsic qualities Absolutely. versus like quantification. Yeah, okay. and, and my quantification is this. So I record their best numbers. That's all I care about. Give me, so we have this big personal record board, if you will. So it's electronic form. It has every lift that I think is worth lifting, you know, like clean, squat, snatch, whatever. And then every regression of that. And I have it in categories. And whatever lift they do and... Say they hit a PR, I put that number down. And it has to be a quality form, obviously. We don't want crazy or bad numbers in there. And so all I do is give them that reference. Hey, man, you got trap bar clean today, right? Hey, you hit 100 kilos on that for doubles um, in the past. Let's see where you get to today. You know those days, Tony, and I know you know this, where you go into the gym and you're like, Jesus, today's going to be a bad day. Or, heck, I've done this multiple times. You're hungover and you're just like, oh, let's get the lift done, right? And then you get warmed up, you get lathered up, and you're like, shit man feeling kind of good weight's kind of light and then boom you hit a pr out of nowhere out of nowhere yeah well like you said earlier i have this limited time so if i'm now looking at that kid when he walks in and he looks like shit and i'm sitting there like oh man like today's gonna be a bad day chalk it up well then i lost an opportunity that that kid might have felt good or ended up feeling good so i don't have time to say when you're going to be good i got to put an environment in front of them to let that manifest in a natural state right hey man you are feeling good today boom and the next thing you know you got a new pr and so i just write that number down and that's just our reference point so i don't write down like percentages based off of one rep max or anything like that we just have sets and reps whatever number that's relative to the to the rep that you've hit in the past and then we just work off that i feel like you have that ability to listen and to pay attention have presence so you're actually like paying attention to your athletes. You're looking at all the data feed that's coming off of them, around them. 
you're looking at like you know what their travel was what their mm-hmm. what their sleep was their study periods their right. their partying you know they're <laughs> young um so you had that ability to listen and you can make adjustments you know yeah. with with what's going on and it's, it's it's surprising to me that people don't have that ability did you where did you learn that like how did you know to just pay attention to the athlete and it's not about you right you know what probably to be honest with you i've seen the environments where you have the strength coaches just barking ba 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 do this do that rah rah it's like this in like the superiority effect like a drill sergeant style like boot camp right and you're just watching the kids reactions because I've seen it, you know, I've seen other environments. You probably experienced that too. hundred percent. Okay. And so when you see it and you're like, hmm, I wonder how that kid's receiving that right now. I know what it felt like. You know what? Probably not going to give my best. Like, I don't feel like I should be at my best. I don't feel comfortable and confident in my environment. Now, don't get me wrong. My environments aren't always comfortable. It's not like a mattress wall and everybody's yeah, like yeah. saying kumbaya. Yeah. yeah. But our culture is that we can train at a high level but look we are able to hear what is going on you know so for me i guess you can say where i really got that from huh that's a really good question i've never been asked that before it's because oh you know what i know where it's from i look at all the other college basketball teams in the country i look at all the other football teams in the country and i'm not saying there's bad strength coaches at the highest level but i know the type of training that goes on and then i realized very quickly you know what, that strength coach, just because they won a national championship doesn't mean he's a good strength coach because I see their training. It's not good quality training. So how much effect does that strength coach actually have? And you know what? No, it's the kid. It's, the, it's his ability to play the game. It's the sport coach. So in reality, do we even have that much of an effect? So if we don't have that much of an effect and I'm barking these arbitrary numbers and assuming that I'm right – well, then I think I'll actually hurt a kid faster than I help a kid. So what if I just, this is the environment where I can actually, they can actually express themselves. They can, he- like, I can hear, they can listen, and then it's a journey. And because in basketball culture, iron is not there. Like football, of course kids want to lift weights. It's, it's fucking football, right? But in basketball, like, weights is now becoming like, oh, maybe that's a good idea. You know, so we're getting there. So I have to create an environment where it's contagious and, and lifting weights is fun. Like, hey, man, like, this is cool. Like, it's cool to, to lift heavy shit. Like, it's right. cool to move weight fast. Like, oh, man, I am empowered by this. Right. I feel good. Right. So I think feeling is a lot more powerful than these quantitative measures to say, oh, you jumped higher today. Like, don't get me wrong. That's cool. And the idea is that our environment creates a trend that that happens. But if I'm, and also, if I am chasing these arbitrary numbers, then I put myself in a box and then I become extremely biased because then at that point I want to say, you know what? It's not about what that kid needs. It's about what I need to validate myself as a strength coach to say at the end of this six week block that all of a sudden, oh yeah, you got X amount of percentage better because we did this type of training. Yo, sweet bro. Like at the end of the day, once again, they play the sport. They don't lift the weight. Right. So I look at quality of movement. And if I can find an apparatus or I can find a method to train their quality of movement higher and then progressively load that, 
then of course those other measures are going to eventually start trending right. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, all of my performance metrics, if you will, as long as they're trending right, I don't care. Right. And as long as they have high quality movement patterns and number one, the process or their journey is a positive one. Right. Because I know what a negative environment is. We've all experienced it, especially in strength. Mm -hmm. So why would I want to create, recreate that? Especially when I'm in such an intimate environment where I'm only working with 13 to 15 athletes. You're looking for mutiny. So what's the results are you looking for when uh, you do work with these athletes, not just in the strength room, but mm -hmm. maybe like to transfer to the game, their ability to communicate with each other and connect and have fun. Right. Because like you spoke about like getting them in that, that state of mind where like they really feel good, they're mm -hmm. feeling, right. you know, everybody's connected and you see the top teams and the top athletes are able to get into like flow state consistently right. and um, back to like quantification I couldn't imagine like uh, Tom Brady trying to do the uh, football combine right you know he would never have like made it you right. know I mean oh, I'm sure was... he did do the combine oh, he, he did and score. it was bad it, it was, was horrible really right yeah. but there's so much other variables that like a uh, a winning team like the Patriots that are really consistent or like back in the days, the 49ers or, right. or the Cowboys or the Green Bay Packers, they all had like a culture. Mm -hmm. They all had uh, one. So the question is, yeah, like what are those variables uh, of success or results that you're looking for that bring up on that culture, mm -hmm. uh, both like uh, within the individual and then as a team unit and then uh, two like how does that shit like dissolve like how right. how did how did a culture like that fall apart right so i know very well so i'll answer the question backwards i know what an unsuccessful team looks like because well number one i've been a part of plenty of them <laughs> especially in and i was a part of that reason so i can sniff that shit out real quick i know selfishness and i know when kids are thinking about themselves and not thinking about their teammates I can spot that out real quick and our sport coaches can too but look takes one to know one. takes one to know one 100 percent and I'm like and I think that's really the whole reason why I got into this to begin with was I don't want kids to have that experience and if I can make a few athletes not have that experience and have a positive one and to understand not to look back and go man I wish my college playing days were this or I wish I could go back in time and redo it. So as far as those variables, I know the number one is everybody's got to feel connected. Everybody's got to feel like they belong. Everybody's got to feel like they give something. Rather, it's the walk-on kid who's the biggest celebrator on the bench and pushing kids in practice, or it's the scorer who's, yeah, he gets the limelight. But at the end of the day, everybody's got to play their role. And if everybody really and truly respects and understands their role, I mean, at that point, it's a, it's a pretty successful team. You're going to have a lot of success. Where you don't have is when you have kids that are, I got to get mine, or extreme selfishness. It doesn't happen. You're not going to have that. I mean, some of the best athletes you've ever seen have never won a championship, and there probably is a reason why. They were not a part of a culture that could cultivate that talent, or that kid was the cancer. <laughs> So for me, there's not, a, there's not an objective measure. There's a feel. And, to, and this is going to sound really hokey, but, dude, I tell my kids all the time, love. 
Like, man, you got to love what you do. You got to love the people you're around and you got to love every day that you're a part of this. Even the worst day, you're a Stanford kid. Like you get to come to school at the world's most renowned university and you get to play college basketball and you get to be on a, like, what, what's your worst day? Please tell me, you know, for me, I, when I played, I mean, I was getting a free education and I was playing the game I loved. And you know what? I hated a lot of those days. And it's like, I don't want to, like, I know that was unsccessful. So for me, I don't know. I just got to, once again, it's, it's not a variable. It's a culture. It's just got to be, and it's got to, it's flow. Like to me, that's flow. Like when you're on the bus and everybody's having, everybody's joking or everybody's having a good time. Like to me, that's flow. We get on the court and everybody's in sync. Everybody's zipping passes. Everybody's making eye contact. And when coach is talking, there's not a broken eye. And everybody's focused. That's flow, right? When you make 18 passes in a possession and, and then finally ends up in a layup, like that's flow. The problem is, can you consistently maintain flow? And if you can't, can you get back to it? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people can't get back to it. Right. And that's the thing that happens, let's say, if there's a loss. Absolutely. So the ability. One bad play. One bad bad play play can screw up the whole game. The whole game. The whole game. Because all of a sudden, insecurities come out. Like a point guard who's known for handling the rock gets the ball stolen from him in the backcourt, which should never happen. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow that rocks a kid's confidence to be able to come down and be the floor general for the entire game. So what happens then? How do you come back to flow? How do you get back to confidence? Right. Which is interesting because I, I love the Theodore Roosevelt quote about a man in the arena. What's that? You know, so um, I don't know the, no, the whole uh, uh, paragraph of uh-huh. it, but it's essentially like you got critics that are sitting in the stands yeah, and they're like, you know, basically harping on a player, like the game's on the line, something mm-hmm. happens. Um, but it's the person that's in the arena that is actually doing it. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that like, they may fall, they may get bloody. They're like the gladiator, you right. know, and they just pick themselves up and like go for it again, you right. know, and, right. and uh, just dust the dust off the blood, right. the tears just keep going. So, um, you know, I just think about like the amount of pressure that, uh, an athlete has to go through like being at Stanford per se you know like academically you well, know that's where it gets even more challenging it's like yeah. look you're on a national stage playing college basketball but in every day in every one of your classes it's like that environment so wow distress I mean that we can't really validate it right like you go to other schools and it's like kind of academics is a breeze or and I'm not trying to crap on other schools but i mean we've seen academic scandals and they exist for a reason right so like you know these kids aren't going through the same rigors that my kids are and so you 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 talk about volumes and intensities and trying to do like x amount of like physical stress well that's another reason why i can't command a certain amount of stress if the kid ain't with it that day because i need him to come back the next day and then the next day if i keep putting him in the hole i mean I don't know what's going on in their lives, but I got to make them resilient and durable enough to even handle those kind of stresses physically. 
So what kind of uh, transfer that you learned from sports that like apply to life per se, you know, all the lessons that you learned in the game of basketball, Uh, even being a a ginger white dude (laughs) and a majority like uh, African American like culture. Man, you know, Uh, that's, that's, I felt like I had to prove a lot. Uh, Well, and it's not necessarily in the sense like, oh, white boys got to do this. No, it was just like, look, I chose to play a certain way and I chose to play the most flashiest version of that. And so for me, it was like, yeah, I felt like I had, I had to perform. And it wasn't, once again, it wasn't even about the end result. It was about the process that I got to the end result and how much I can embarrass somebody on the way. Because that's what it is. That's what streetball is. Right? That's, the, that's that kind of vibe. It's like, man, yeah, the game, whatever. But do you remember that move? Do you remember dropping that kid? Do you remember that embarrassing moment that you had for him? Like, that's what that was about. You know, so some of the lessons I learned was (laughs) the biggest lesson I learned was that doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's the points on the board. Like I could have I could have went for 50 or I could have went for two. As long as we went, I should have been happy with that. But in my career, I was happy if I had like 10 dimes and I dropped somebody in a game, even if we lost. Like, oh, yeah, we lost. But I'm on the bus like in, internally like, Corey, 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 which that was probably the biggest lesson that I learned of all was that doesn't matter. Like that shouldn't matter. My teammates are hurting. They lost. Like they actually they, they care about the team's success. I didn't. So now as a strength coach who's support staff, I'm supporting these athletes. I'm on the bench with them at the very end. We're, we're all in this together, and you can see the bench reactions. And you can see who's really involved, who really cares, right? And then obviously you're watching the game. So then as a support staff member, you think like, man, all the hours I put in, all the hours these sport coaches have put in to create this event for them to A, win, or B, lose. And then when that result happens, was it all worth it? Or, man, that was a waste of time, right? Or back to the drawing boards. So for me, it's like it, it, to look at, man, all of these variables or all these intricate um, processes that happen just for this one event to happen, just for this one result. And it's, to me, it's, only, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful when, it, when you win. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, it's, and you look at and you, when you reverse engineer that, pro, that end result, and you think, okay, what attributes to that success? Hopefully you're a big part of it. Right, right. Which, you know, a lot of times, like you said, in certain like winning championship teams, mm-hmm. strength coaches, you know, didn't have a good program. You know that for sure. Absolutely. So um, what, is, what else is going on in these uh, winning championship uh, variables? Like how, how are these teams able to do what they do? Um, what do you think's going on in that that environment? I mean, to be honest with you, at the end of the day, and we, we joke about this uh, in our office, like if you ain't got the dudes, it don't matter. Like it's cool you see these Cinderella teams that go, you know, to the Final Four, go to the Sweet Sixteen, like Loyola Marymount or whatever. The, you know, some of these like, or no, it wasn't them, but it was another team, but like from Chicago, and you're just like, oh man, you want to see them win, but at the end of the day. When other team, blue blood teams have those dudes, it doesn't matter what your flow is. It doesn't matter what your preparation is. You're more than likely not going to win that game, right? So first and foremost, if you have the dudes, you got a chance. Right. Now, from that point, assuming everyone has the dudes in that, envi- in that arena, 
You know, I, I honestly think, like, yes, preparation is everything, but you can't prepare for everything. It's your ability to adapt. If you're able to adapt to given circumstances and have experienced those adversities, then at least it's, it's familiar and that you're able to respond faster than maybe a team who has not experienced those type of adversities. For instance, you'll see a lot, um, I think Kentucky was a good example of this. They went undefeated the entire year and then they get in a tournament and lose. Right. Like, because they didn't experience an adversity of loss or almost losing, you know, enough. Okay. To where it was like, oh, this is on the line. But the other teams have experienced coming back from being down. Right, right. right. And so you see that a lot in sport. You know, the dominant team, all of a sudden, well, what happened? Like they, yeah, they just kind of coast. Right, for okay. sure. And then they never They don't never go for the kill. Right. Oh, that happens way too much in sport. Where yeah. you have teams who are like, they're up by 10 with five minutes left. And all of a sudden, what, what happened? Right. Like we just, we, we gave it all up. And we, we've done that a few times here at Stanford. It's almost like we weren't used to success. So so we were in a position to win. We didn't know how to close the game. It's like, oh, we're about to win, and everybody's celebrating. And it's like, oh, wait, we just lost. So that happens a lot, too. Right. So it's maturity, too. Yeah. So, you know, your ability to adapt. Um, number one, have the dudes. Your ability to adapt. And then maturity in the situation. You know, being able to 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 handle and to, you know, more more importantly, is like poker facing it. Right. It's like, no, we ain't done nothing yet. I don't care if we're up by 40. Right. See, and that's one thing that happens the most out of all my experiences in college basketball where you're looking at the opposition in the warm-up lines and you're like, oh, there's a lot of short white dudes over there that look very unathletic. We should beat them by 40. And then at the end of the game, you only won by 12. It's like, why? Because you already had that. It's going to be easy. Yeah. So that's where the difference – okay, the difference between good, good teams and great teams is that great teams will punish the hell out of those teams that they should punish. Right. It shouldn't even be a contest, and they make sure of it. Okay. And they take offense if it's not. Right. So I think that's the difference because they're able to maintain that high level of competition no matter who their competition is. Mm. They don't play to the level of competition. They play to their potential. Okay. So almost like even if they're a great team, they still hold the mindset of being an underdog. For sure. Because I remember like playing ice hockey, like mm. we would always play to the level of the competition. Right. So usually if we were playing these kids from like Canada who were actually like maybe one or two years younger than us, mm -hmm. but they were way better. Right. We would, we would, bring, they would bring our A game. Right. But if we were the best team, it was so easy to just be like cocky. Right. It's like, oh, we got this. Right. right. And then the other team, you know, would be able to like give us a run. Right. And so it's interesting with the psychology of that. So how are you as a strength and conditioning coach able to prepare for a scenario like in role playing, like let's say um, you, uh, in the weight room, mm -hmm. I'm sure your coach does this for like uh, practices where you're like, okay, guys, you're down by like 10. Yep. There's like two minutes left in the game. Uh, do you, Absolutely. Can you can you replicate that in the in the weight room? Because I, I I would imagine that like some coaches believe in like wearing down their players and pushing them to the max and then pushing them past it. Right. Because at that point you're fatigued. Mm -hmm. You know. So how so, do you? How so do for you me, that? it's so it's a lot easier to manipulate that in a weight room because, like I said before, it's a controlled environment. So like in basketball, it's so dynamic. You could be in the worst case scenario and still end up on top because the ball bounced the right way. 
right? It's just ha- chance and luck or whatever. But in a weight room, at the end of the day, the weight weighs the same. It doesn't change, no matter how you feel that day or no matter what situation you're in. So a cool, like, uh, and I got this from Ethan Reeve, another Ethan Reeve. Um, they did this really interesting um, workout, and it was called Game Day. And game day is, so in college football, there's 45 minutes. So what he did, they had 50 platforms. I mean, they were loaded, right? 50 platforms. They had two people on each platform. And they'd have, I want to say it was 80 to 85% of their one rep max on the bar, right? So they're all partnered up based off the same weights. And then it was a 45-minute EMOM of doubles. So you hit a double, your partner hits a double. When the minute hits, you're up again. And you do that for 45 minutes straight. Now think about that for a second. Okay, you're hitting doubles on cleans for 45 minutes. That is 90 cleans. Okay, and the monotony of that number one. Right. Okay, but what's beautiful about it is the clean is a very technical movement. So at any moment you miss a pull, you can lose the lift. Yeah. Right. Right. Or you're not. You 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 don't finish the pull, or you don't rack the bar, or whatever. Anything could happen, and then you lost the lift, and then what happened? You just lost the game. So for them, that was their test. They did it at the end of summer session one and at the end of summer session two. And so what I plan on doing with my team is something very similar. Now, we do this in micro doses because I'm not confident on pushing them to that extent because, once again, I don't have them for that amount of time. But because I don't have them for that amount of time anymore, we're going to start having these mega doses. So I'll because we're going to space out our training enough so they can recover from it. But once again, putting my guys in position to be in a very similar look it's a technical movement. It's going to have a relatively decent load to it. There's going to be a monotonous at any point where you just lose focus because dude, for, you're asking a kid for to maintain focus for 40 minutes because a basketball game's 40 minutes, so mine will be 40. Right. To maintain focus for 40 minutes, get out of here. Especially a young kid. 100%. <laughs> so then if you're able to create an environment where you can do that, you know what? I, I, that's a controlled environment that at any moment you can have a slight technical miscue and then lose the game. And then now it's all on you. Everybody saw it. What are you going to do, bro? So for us, um, now not everybody cleans. You know, most of my guys clean, but I have a few guys who just, in their career, they'll never rack a bar. So I got to do a different variation. So we'll do a trap bar clean pool. And then for everybody, we'll tendo it. So we'll throw on. And now you got to maintain the speed. So it's not about the weight, but it's about maintaining that speed. And if you don't miss that, if you don't make that speed, you just lost the game. Mm. So that's cool. Cause I imagine like you have a seven foot clean. <laughs> I, I got three of them. Right? I, got, I, I got, I have three in my career that every, okay. Every seven footer I've ever had actually could clean really well. And it just didn't, it was just luck. Right. It, it was luck of the draw that they, I had the mobility to do it, but you know, you, I'm the skill set. Exactly. Okay. But I got a, I mean, I got a five ten kid who came and rack a bar. Right. So it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. But yeah. if you look at the kid, you're like, you know what? That does make sense. Okay. So it's going back to the same, hey, you got to find the right lift for the right kid. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've been luck of the draw. My seven footers were able to rack a bar and I could teach them the rest. Um, but yeah, so for us, um, I, I think that's where it's going to get, uh, I think it's going to get challenging. But I think coach is going to really enjoy that aspect where we have a controlled environment. And you can see even by the minute where kids start losing. And then that's where something, hey, coach, here's just some information for you. So when you're creating these environments in practice, you might have an idea of what's going to happen. Right. So you're reporting to the coach oh, like absolutely. where their line is, their breaking point potentially is. 
I don't know if we can be exact. And who knows? It could just be like, ah, kid missed the bar. Right. But we're going to put such a high priority on not missing a lift. Because, look, it should be, we're going to put it at a weight where they better not miss it. Right. But it's going to come from them missing it, not because the load or the accumulation of stress was too high. Yeah. Do you do anything else to bring in distraction and noise? Should I, like, I mean, you're sitting there in a real game. You're mm-hmm. shooting a free throw. Right. Everybody's waving, trying to distract right. you. Um, you know, that's a, that's a real, like, mind fuck. For sure. You know, so, like, to be able to, to put, put the ball in the basket during mm-hmm. that moment, are you able to replicate that in the, the weight room? I would say there's no no possible way to truly prepare a kid for that moment other than putting the kid in that moment so for me as a strength coach i don't make better basketball players i make better athletes and if making them a better athlete just so happens to make them a better basketball player then phenomenal but my goal is obviously to prepare their bodies for the sports but also i got to create a little bit of organized chaos so that maybe they can handle their stresses so then that's where I take them to the wrestling room. Now, the wrestling oh, room right. for them yeah. is an environment that it's like, what is this? Like, you mean you want me to roll and tumble and push and pull? And you want me to carry people? You want me to take people down? You want me to? Yes. As a matter of fact, I do. And so so that, it's very primal. Absolutely. And that's, that's the hangry and horny part that's of the training. the hangry and horny part of this podcast <laughs> where we get back to being human or being man or whatever, where, look, This is how people used to train, number one. And there's nothing more human than being able to pick someone up, put someone down, being able to roll on the ground, being able to push someone, pull someone, being able to interact with, I mean, think about Olympic sport. It all started with wrestling, right? Right. Everybody's pushing and pulling or they're naked or they're, yeah, naked too. (laughs) We're not there yet, but uh, I think I get in trouble for that one. But anyways, but they threw something or they jumped over something or they sprinted. It's the most human thing that you can do. But a lot of people look at sports performance and what they do is they do the sprinting, they do the jumping, they do the throwing or the movement of weight, but whatever happened to the grappling? Right. Right. And I'm not saying like in basketball, if you're grappling somebody, it's a foul. But what do you think (laughs) it teaches you though? Being able to be in someone else's space comfortably, man, I know where my foot is going when that person's that close to me. So now I'm, I think that I'm able to have them decrease their chances of stepping on someone's foot. Or them being comfortable in the post when they're beating and banging with somebody because they know how to position themselves and lever themselves against someone else. So, yeah, if you're comfortable picking someone up, throwing someone, pushing someone, and more importantly, absorbing those forces, then you might know how to manipulate your body for success. Yeah, so it's seen in like uh, professional levels or like high level basketball players yeah. is their ability to impose yes. their presence. You know, and you've seen weak people do that. Like, so for instance, what I mean by that is like weak people in the weight room, but they're the strongest people on the basketball court because they know how to use their body. But they might not can clean or snatch or jerk, and well, who cares? They right. know how to play. They know how to use their body. So once again, it goes back to that question: Does what I do really matter? Right. So I got to make a way for it to matter. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But anyways. Yeah. So what's going on with these uh, weak people that can impose their presence on the floor? Um, what do you see uh, is a common denominator with those types? They're wiry. 
super wiry. Like they look, they don't and look that like imposing. bony. Like because I noticed like playing against guys that were bony and they got that elbow, and you're just yeah. like, damn, that shit hurt, man. Well, I mean, it goes the opposite way too. I've seen big muscle bound dudes float like like literally get pushed away like it's a butterfly. You mm. know, like oh, get away. It's like oh, okay. You know, or they're super like, oh, so nice. And it's like, yeah, oh, gentle, you, can, you can move me away. And right. it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So both extremes exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but the wiry guys, I mean, those are guys I want. Okay. Because I'm 100%. I'd rather have those guys than anybody else. Number one, they look unassuming. I like unassuming people. Yeah. Because, man, you, you always have a competitive advantage, you know. Um, two, if you're wiry strong you're probably pretty elastic and reactive. Right. You know, and that's what I need in the sport of basketball. Yeah. I need yeah. guys to not only create force, but create force a lot faster than anybody else. Right. Um, so my big guys, yeah, they're probably not that way. Okay. <laughs> they're probably pretty slow. They're right. grinding. You yeah. Know, you don't see, that's why you don't see uh, bodybuilders doing windmills. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I'd rather have really long, wiry dudes who are unassuming, but can throw you around. That was the biggest, like, myth. I mean, I could see why there was always that whole muscle-bound myth. There's mm-hmm. some truth to that because, like, you can do bodybuilding-type training, yet you can't express that on, like, the field or oh, the absolutely. ice. As yeah. In my case, in ice hockey, I put on, like, 30 pounds. I looked, like, solid. Looked awesome. It's, yeah, it looked <laughs> awesome, but I was slow as fuck. Right. Yeah, you know? It's like, sweet, man. You, yeah. This doesn't help me at all. Yeah. But I can't wait to get back to the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see these guys that were wiry, like right. th- when you put hockey pads on, they look huge. Right. But then when they took them off, you're like, holy shit, that guy is like right. so skinny. Sure, he's got, he's taller, but, and he's got leverage, but right. they're like laser and razor. Well, yeah, look at the, look at the damn NBA. Like, okay, who's the most successful muscle bound dude in the NBA? I would guess you would say Dwight Howard, but he's not even successful. Like, he's bouncing no. around every team in the Maybe league. Maybe, like, back in the days, like, Carl Malone. Yeah, yeah, Carl Malone. Man, he was Right, awesome. he was he stacked. Was or, uh, but Dave Robinson. David Robinson, oh right? Oh, man, he had the uh, best arms ever. <laughs> yeah. But those guys don't exist very often. Right. right? Shaq, who, maybe. Who, yeah, I mean, Shaq was just a, he like, was genetic. He was a huge <laughs> Yeah. But, like, yeah, you named four or five people out of how many people that's ever, like, Hall ever of Famers played. that yeah. are in, like, Clyde Drexler. Michael Jordan, obviously. I mean, mm-hmm. hell, look at Larry Bird. He was the most unassuming dude ever, but was solid. Yeah, right? very so, athletic. Yeah. yeah, so like very just well, probably coordinated. But yes, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but like, that's what the <laughs> NBA is made of. Like, you don't see like, and that's why I keep telling my coaches because sport coaches are automatically assume, oh my guys got big arms, they're strong. Right. Like, yeah. It's like, look, just because they pass the jersey test. You know, like, I'll never forget this. We played this one team. I won't name them. But they were huge. I mean, huge. Like, I even felt insecure as a strength coach. I'm like, holy shit. Like, what are they doing? Because they look like monsters. You know, I was like, holy shit. But then we smoked them by 40. And I'm sitting And we beat them on the boards. And we beat them on these stats where it, it involves physicality. So I was sitting there thinking, like, what happened? Hey, guys, that's my example. So from now on, any coach comes to me about looking a certain way. I'm like, hey, do you remember playing X? Hey, they had a team full of those. Guess what? They lost. They're not that good. So, you know, that's why. And you can think about it this way. That's probably why basketball players don't look at value of the weight room because they think, oh, all the guy wants to do is make me bigger. So it's like, no, 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 no. Like, if you're really, if you if you have a really good strength coach, they just want to find ways to make you better. Right, right. Um, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned in your uh, career as a strength coach mm-hmm. uh, and where you see the evolution of strength and conditioning going? 
I would say the biggest lesson I've learned in strength is um, probably the uh, hmm, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Because you'll keep unveiling these layers of information. So the new data, so it's now the data age. So we're learning all these acute to chronic ratios, or you're learning uh, neurotransmitter. You're learning like motor learning or neuroplasticity. You're learning all these things. And you're just like, oh my god, like I thought I knew about strength. Like what happened? Like, <laughs> and then you just keep peeling back these layers. So I'm always searching for knowledge, but as soon as I like get to a certain point, I realize what back up. I got to learn more, and then you got to learn more. So most strength coaches, and I know this is a stereotype, but as the older they get they get to that complacent state mm. where all of a sudden it's like, yep, this is how we do it. And then you always hear the tradition like, oh, this is what we did in the in a Power 5 conference uh, when we won the bowl championship in 74. It's like, sweet. Okay, it's a totally different environment. It's a totally different game. It's totally, like, you can't do these traditional things. So I think my biggest lesson is to never become complacent with what I do. Like, I'm not going to look at the years past just because we won a championship and say, oh, this is the program we're running this year because that's the program we ran. Or, oh, man, all my guys hit this X performance metric, and that's what made us successful for that, for that year. No. So for me, it's just not to become complacent and, and within my knowledge and, um, and to always know that I'm not the smartest guy in the room. God, there's so many string coaches out there with the egos of just like, oh, man, yeah, like, no, dude, you, you, you don't know shit in the grand scheme of things. Like, you really don't know, especially if you're telling me you're running these periodization models with team sports. Come to me, I will chop you down on that because there's no way you can tell me you, you, you're Nostradamus and you can predict these percentages and lows that your athletes are going to do in this progressive model that all of a sudden allows you to peak at a certain time of year for all of your athletes. Right. I call bullshit on it. Please come see me about it. Because that, to me, that is the most ridiculous uh, a statement that is ever made in strength. And where you see like the evolution of strength and so conditioning. The, so the yeah. evolution, I mean, gosh, it's almost like robots are going to take over, man. Because mm -hmm. I mean, we now have AI technologies that are running these algorithms or these de this uh, the data that you put in that are predicting injuries or that are predicting you know overtraining or whatever. And it's like, holy crap! Like you could almost just plug in numbers and just kind of lean back. And once you see a red flag, you're like, oh, pull that kid, pull that kid. But there's always at the end of the day, there's the human aspect, and I think that's what. For me especially, like I lean towards more than anything. It's like there's a difference between a performance coach and a strength coach. Like a performance coach is trying to get you to get X, Y, and Z adaptation and response and then you so you to perform. But you know, I look at my role as a strength coach is like, look, strength can be anything. Strength could be strength in our interpersonal relationship that we have. You know, the strength could be and uh, my ability to talk to you when shit goes bad. You know, or hey man, you know what? You just got to recover today. So we're just going to apply these recovery strategies or anything like that. So that's where it's, look, right? performance coaches, yeah, go keep chasing performance metrics. Don't get me wrong. That's important because you want to get better athletes. But you know, at the end of the day, like, it's about the athlete and it's about how you can in some way foster a positive result for them, no matter if that means wins and losses. But the evolution of it, I mean, it's going to be extremely tech-based. I mean, it's going to end up being machines training kids um, to a certain degree where you like you put them in this isoconnect machine and you're just ripping. But I hope not because I like my job and I like what I do. And I hope to stay up um, 
with the current trends and uh, and hopefully be a revolutionist myself and 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 how we train. Cool. How are you on time, man? We have. Oh, like, we're good. Yeah, we got an hour and uh, at the moment. Um, yeah. So. I know this, you have a story where you were kind of like humbled by like one of your young athletes. Oh, yo, yeah. <laughs> well, I better not say his name. But yo, he said the craziest thing to me. He, um, so this is a kid who I was thinking like, yo, like he doesn't like me or like he was always making me feel insecure. And then I saw like the other coaches were like, yeah, he doesn't make eye contact or he doesn't talk or he's like very, very shy and like introverted. Like maybe he doesn't like his experience here. Like, oh no, like. The kid doesn't is not having a good time like that. And that's like and that's what I love about my coach is he cares about their experience. He really, really cares about their experience. Don't get me wrong, he cares about winning, but like he actually truly cares about these kids and how they go through the, under his regime, his or the the environment that he creates for them to have a good college basketball experience. But anyways, um, so this kid, I, I go up to him one day and I'm like, hey man, look, no one else is going to be straight up with you because they're scared, but I'm going to tell you, hey. People are having a hard time uh, communicating with you. Like, look, man, it, what, what is it? Do you just, do you not like us? Like, what, what's the deal, man? Like, like, you can't even make eye contact with me right now. Like, are you that insecure? Like, dude, like, we got to talk about these things because my major goal is to help you become a better man. I don't care what else I do. If I can have you make a firm handshake with, a, with another man and you can go through life and, and, and communicate your thoughts and feelings, then I've done my job. And he just looked at me sideways like I was crazy. <laughs> and he goes coach I, I just don't waste words my job uh, oh my god like, i didn't have a response i was like oh what, wait what like what what does that mean and then i started thinking i'm like is that the most brilliant thing i've ever heard mm. and i thought about myself as a coach i'm like how many words do i waste like <laughs> it's like it's just like rambling you know when i yeah. thought when i stopped and thought about oh my god like this kid really hangs on to like how he communicates like as a as a gift more so than you know just communication like he looks at communication as maybe like you earned it or maybe i trust you opposed to everybody talks but you know how everybody talks behind each other's back and shit like that and everybody's like no 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 his communication is like i trust you like i love you like and now we're there mm-hmm. and i'm sitting there like me and him having just random conversations i'm saying like wow this would never have happened and this is the thing like this wasn't like our first week or month this is our first year together it was this and so now i'm sitting there like oh wow like but now the community the communication that we have now or the not so waste for words right it was it's it like it, i feel like i it's a gift every time like i feel like oh my god like i feel humbled every time i get to talk to the kid because he's allowing his words on me. like he's he's wasting or using his words with me yeah so I, I it made me really sit back and think like gosh man do we really waste words yeah i think that comes a lot out of like insecurity you know absolutely right just sure. trying to be quiet and just be in silence mm-hmm. and you know or the exact opposite where you try to talk your way out or you try to talk your way to cover other things up right mm-hmm. and so that's where he, he blew my mind with that one tony Gosh. that's yeah yeah and how did that uh affect you with your own relationship let's say with your wife or, oh yeah so or your, well, your mom or your your you have a brother yeah i do have a brother yeah, yeah, yeah. an older brother well you know i still talk oh yeah shit i've to met him brother. yeah you met, you met your brother yeah. yeah so yeah i still talk shit to warren um my wife um i mean she's she's my best friend i mean absolutely and she's like 
just kind of like a locker room jockey too where it's like we give each other shit like, <laughs> like we make fun of each other but it's very healthy um, right and it's it's challenging too like i go home and it's a challenge like it's not like oh i have my stereotypical complacent wife from the 50s who makes dinner for me every night and i tell her how the world works no it's, exact, <laughs> it's the exact opposite um and, and and she's so brilliant i mean she's, she's she thinks on such a high level that I constantly, I get better. She makes me better. But um, as far as, nah, I still waste words. <laughs> I, I still absolutely waste words. You love to talk, man. I mean, You're well, very like, to. Yeah. You know, like, I have to in my job, uh, number one. But, you know, it's my personality, too. Like, yeah. I, I express myself. Um, I, I love what I do. I'm very passionate about what I do. And um, I like confrontation. Like, I want discussion. Because I look at it like this, like the more I put out, the more um, I have to defend or the more I have to prove, not necessarily like I got to prove myself, but no, 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 like, no, let's have a, let's have a healthy discussion about like, oh, maybe there's a way I can do it better. Right. So now I have people challenging me in a healthy way where it's like, hey, man, I, I didn't know that or I didn't think about it that way. Great. I just got better. Mm hmm. Um, you got two amazing cats. <laughs> so I'm the first that's probably the, definitely the first string coach I know that for a fact that has two sphinxes right and it's they're, they're my wife my wife started with it and uh, they got two incredible names um, the fat one who's like a, got like a pale skin to him uh, they're all hairless they're all hairless yeah, yeah. Uh, his name's Gooch so that's <laughs> that's how I knew my wife was going to be my wife when I first met him because I'm mm. like if you can name a cat your personal your, your pet Gooch because that's what it feels like <laughs> then wow like you got a hell of a personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you you got a great a great humor to you. So yeah, I'm going with that. And then the second one I bought her as because I felt bad for the fat little thing. Like, <laughs> the dude's in a house by himself. I'm like, he needs a buddy. So yeah. as a wedding gift, I bought uh, rep for her. So she had, so she took something from my world and uh, and so I can make it my own in a certain way. So we named it you know like sets and reps. So named it rep. <laughs> um, so we got Gooch and Rep holding it down. So and our real goal is to one day have a bull terrier and we call him Trap. But Gooch, Rep and Trap, that's the future of the Sustinger family. Oh yes, yeah, so you guys are planning on getting a bull terrier? Hopefully one day. Yeah. Uh, probably when we're out of California. But <laughs> <laughs> got it got it yeah, i ain't paying no pet deposit <laughs> too much out here <laughs> um how's your carnivore diet going man you know what it, it went so well until i went to south carolina and then it went <laughs> off deep in. but i will say this like I, I will honestly say now first my teeth hurt that okay. was the first thing i was like oh man like just chawing straight right. meat four to five times a day yeah like, for for those listening um this is a diet where you only eat meat that's it that's it that's it and so but but you need to have like a high quality meat like not just a grass fed beef but a grass finished beef like you need some really because the whole point is like supposedly you could still get the same micronutrients that you get through vegetables and all that because they had a really good diet and so you eat the fat you eat everything right um and that's so weird because I hate fat. Like, I hate the gristle of oh, fat. Oh, wow. So I'm like, forcing oh, that down. Like, I hate that. I part. love that stuff. Oh, God. Like, I, went <laughs> the I went the leanest. Yeah. Oh, like, see, you and my wife need to eat because she, yeah. she lo- she'll suck the fat down. Oh, oh man. And that's probably, that's probably why my wife is so healthy and doesn't even know it because she truly holds it on to the carnivore diet. Like, 
that woman doesn't eat anything else but me. And I'm like, you know what? You're lean. Yeah. Like, you're caught. Like, she had nice skin. I know, right? I'm sitting there like, geez, I got to, I need to pick up on my wife. But, um, so yeah, your teeth were bothering me. My teeth were bothering me so bad. And so it got to the point where I was just like cutting it up so much that I could at least tolerate it. But I will say this. I'm an avid coffee drinker. I love coffee. Phil's coffee plug. But I love coffee more than anything. <laughs> but I didn't need it. Like That's I, interesting. I felt so much, like, not energy, like, oh, go get them. But, like, I didn't feel down. Right. So then in the mornings when I made my traditional trip, I just... I got it because I wanted the taste of coffee, not yeah. that I needed coffee. Right. And then it's like that two o'clock, three o'clock crash that everybody always talks about was not there. Really? And, and, and honestly, like I was trying to go through this, like, yo, I'm going to debunk this. Like, right. That's the whole point this of is it. stupid. Like I'm yeah. going to do it. Worst case scenario, I'm going to get kind of lean. Right. Cool, right. right. But I'm yeah. going to debunk this. But I didn't have a problem with it. Really? So really how long were you going to do it for before you got sidetracked in your... Uh... So, I got into it, so I got into it for about a month. Okay. And, and, and I'll be honest with you. Now, it, I'm trying to... Re- I don't think it got expensive. Because obviously the beef itself is expensive. Yeah. But if that's all you're eating, then it's maybe not that expensive in the grand scheme of things. Right. right? But you so could spend like twenty dollars just eating a salad at Whole Foods. Oh, 100%. just one meal. Heck yeah! Yeah. So I was like, okay, a pound of you know grass-fed tenderloin—that's not bad at all. So a grass finish, excuse me. Um, but so, but it was the preparation too that kind got that got a little bit annoying. Okay. Um, but I love the reverse sear method. Like that that was a way from and I got that from one of my athletes too it's a great thing about Stanford like I learned more from my athletes than I do from anything else like they bring me just knowledge bombs left and right but um, we tried the reverse sear method and that softened up the meat a lot and it okay. was a very enjoyable experience but it takes 45 minutes to do or technically uh, up to an hour like, or not an hour but you gotta you, you bake it I'm sorry for everyone listening. So you bake it at like 220, 225 for about 45 minutes then you throw it on a on a skillet Sear both sides, boom. Oh, okay. Right. So like for forty-five minutes, you're it's unattended. Exactly. Okay. So that's where I'm like, dude, if I want food now, that kind of sucks, right? And then, well, I don't want to heat up a cold steak. Like, who the hell wants to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where I started shifting to like, well, you know what? Maybe I can intermittent fasting this carnivore diet idea, right? It, it didn't work out too late. Yeah, <laughs> I started just saying, screw it. I'm eating steak in the morning. And then I had, now I will say this, I cheated on the carnivore diet a couple of times. I had eggs because it's cheap and it's easy to digest. So I did have eggs. So I guess you could really call it as a keto diet. But the carnivore diet, I'd say, yeah. Well, I mean, you well. probably did it like 90% or Yeah, 90%. 90. I, did, I, did it, I did it pretty damn well. Like I was yeah. pretty impressed that I was able to stick with something like that. But uh, And you had energy Man, I had energy. And that's what I noticed, like, going to Alaska and eating mm-hmm. game meat. How was Like, that? reindeer. Oh, man. And uh, we had moose. So, what was your favorite? I liked them both, man. Yeah? Like, okay. I, Yeah, I was, like, the same thing. Like, I, whenever I ate it, I felt, like, this this deep, like, primal energy. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and I had been off of coffee for a while. Really? And I had my first cup of coffee up there. Uh-huh. And didn't even like it, man. Right, it's like, you man, know? why am I doing it? Right, totally right. right and uh but that experience it made me want to like eventually become a hunter yeah oh, it makes yeah. so much sense to me you know i mean sorry to my vegan vegetarian right. friends but <laughs> like i i in moderation mm-hmm. you know 
um, I just think it's very responsible for the environment. Oh, to, absolutely. To get your own meat instead of some factory farm stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you have one animal last a year. Right. Feed yourself, your family. You have leftovers to give to your friends. And that's what, it, like, to it's, me, that's where it's, it's got to come from. Because, like you said, like, the way you're talking about this, it's coming from such a true and authentic place. Yeah. Like, it's genuine. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm trying to go up on some trend. No, there's this deep spirituality to it. And for me, like, I would love to be in a situation where I could have a big, deep freezer. I go pick my cow. I'm like, yo, that one, Sally. And then, Sally, sorry, you're gone. But mm-hmm. you're going to a good home, right? And then from that point, dude, you got meat for a year. Yeah. You know? And that's, you just, sorry, Sally, but you're, you're giving back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you have any interest in, like, hunting? Absolutely. But the, now, this is my deal, though. I've never truly hunted. Now, I grew up with guns. Um... A lot of guns, actually, because I come from the South, so that's that's the deal. Out here, that's a little sensitive. Um, but um, as far as hunting, like if I think I want to do any type of hunting, I'd want to do the hardest form of it, other than bear wrestling. Uh, I think I think a bow and arrow. Like I would like to be become pretty proficient at shooting a bow and arrow. I think because number one, the the practice of it alone, just going and in a yard or going wherever you can and just the actual movement the actual like practice like shooting a gun like it's whatever like bang bang all right cool i get it and trust me i've done it a lot so i get the concept but there's not like truly fulfilling like yeah boom power is in my hand mm. but i think there's so much more of an art to shooting a bow and arrow and then killing something with a bow and arrow right like, the amount of skill it seems more fair yeah, and that's another thing yes very fair more fair uh, you yeah. have to earn that yeah, you don't you get like that. a laser shot like right. you know high a powered rifle right just like, right but don't get me wrong I, i'd shoot a gun too but yeah i mean i just honestly i think a bow and arrow would be kind of cool yeah it's pretty neat because uh yesterday i went to the uh archery shop in san francisco uh, right did you buy one no no this. but I, I wanted to know i just went there i was like dude i don't know shit <laughs> turn me on to this let me know like what's the difference between these like these bows and right. that bow and he's like okay so these are the long bows these are the recurve bows and mm-hmm. these are like the compound bows yeah. right compound bows like everybody usually uses that for hunting yeah uh, they're mechanical there's a lot of like parts and pieces yeah uh, accessories that you can get makes it easier to be accurate yeah um but like if you want to learn like the foundation the mm-hmm. art mm-hmm. you got to go with the traditional like longbow Ooh, wow. to the recurve bow mm-hmm. and um you know just and the difference too is that the longbow and the recurve like it, you can go like for a long distance oh, okay so there's like this like gracefulness to it right. Right? oh absolutely and yeah. then the compound bow it's like it's technology right, right so right. you need to be closer like 40 yards to your your target Mm-hmm. your animal right you know um but that's usually what again what people use for hunting yeah and uh and then after that he gave me this feel and I, I went down to the archery field and yeah. i saw like the two types of bows being used and it, it was really cool man it was really neat to see the different styles mm-hmm. and then and then the release yeah. and to see that like the the, the arrow the quiver just flying and like hitting the target like from like a hundred yards okay, part two of this podcast is going to be me and tony <laughs> shooting bows <laughs> shooting bows yeah man so um i i definitely uh i'm inspired to do that right. you know after alaska eating yeah. game meat seeing like 
what it does to our body mm-hmm. and it was that tangible you know and um you know i just imagine like that's probably another like a hidden secret for like strength and conditioning oh, as yeah. well <laughs> i can see that I can you know right yeah, absolutely. like you know you feed your athletes some like good game meat and all of a sudden they're just crushing it Dude, you know that's going <laughs> to now that we talked about this like it's going to take one sec coach to hear this and be like oh my god that we're in the south there's plenty of deer down here and then it's going to have deer meat <laughs> That'd be awesome. yeah. Because I know, like, I remember high, like in high school, kids would bring deer jerky, and they would bring. And I'm just like, God, this is so good, right? <laughs> but that's the beauty about coming from the south. Well, one of the beauties about coming from the south. So that's just some negativities, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, any like final thoughts on you know what we covered? Yeah, um, um, things that you have uh, questions about yourself, or you know, uh, I mean, Tony, my, my question to you is like, why? Okay, and this is going to sound offensive maybe at first, <laughs> but why do you exist? Why because, do? <laughs> because what I mean by that is like you come from so many different worlds mm-hmm. and how we get partnered up and, and the stories you tell me about how you get partnered up with other people. It's like, dude, you're like, you're like the glue to so many things. And I'm just like, so, so like, why, why do you exist, Tony? Yeah, man. I don't know. <laughs> We're all just in the simulation, yeah, man. No. Yeah, exactly. I definitely feel like there's something to that for yeah. oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, especially being in the zone, being in yep. flow. It's like, you know, who's driving the bus, as they say, right? right? You're like, who just did that act? So, what made the magic flow bus go? Yeah, magic flow bus. I mean, you know, people saw just like you, like, why do you exist? Like, how do you do what you do? How do you meet the people that you do? How do you travel where you go? Right. How do you do you, man? And <laughs> and, uh, and so I got approached by two guys that were um, one medical doctor, uh, interviewed Dr. Scott Sure yep. in his last episode. Um, and then Chris Boehner. He's a business development guy, oh, and cool. they they worked for a company I'm not going to name, but um, it's pretty big. And they both got laid off like because this company scaled too quickly. Yeah, but they met me. They uh, they had the same questions. They, I guess they felt like there was something there. Like, can you teach what you do right. to the world? And so we went and talked a couple of conversations and magic flow bus came out of that right and it was like um i guess chris boehner used to watch the the cartoon called the magic school School bus Bus, right i knew there was a i knew there was something there with that but okay yeah yeah, yeah. and so you know i had seen like clips of it but you know you have like this uh teacher that's driving the bus and taking the kids to like yeah yeah, outer space there are different parts of the world but you wonder how they came up with that to begin with but oh yeah (laughs) right you know those creators yeah yeah and you know we're in the bay area the epic center of that absolutely (laughs) absolutely so brilliant people brilliant people yeah and in some ways like i just found uh traveling was very psychedelic for me yeah you know and um i also found that like it wasn't psychedelic with my experience with it it's 
not necessarily needed, you mm-hmm. know. Um, it's a great tool. Right. It's not to be fucked with. Absolutely. You know, uh, definitely needs to be respected. But you could get the same sort of flow downloads. Right. Right. Just from traveling and having amazing conversations with people. I've always, uh, and maybe because of my hearing impairedness, um, just d- dealing with that challenge growing up, yeah. I had to listen. I was always like oh, observing see. my world and I was fascinated with life itself. I saw like kids, I saw animals, I saw adults, I saw like the elderly, I saw homeless people, I saw, mm-hmm. you know, just when I was growing up in San Francisco, culture, music, uh, I saw hippies, I right. saw, um, you know, different races. Like there, there was so many things going on that I was wondering about all of it. Mm-hmm. I wondered like, what was the purpose of school? Why are we here? Why can't I just learn what I want to learn? Right. You know, uh, what is this system? Like you start to learn all these things, start to question everything. So I just, I guess, always loved to learn. I was always curious. Uh, sports taught me a lot of lessons as For well. Sure. And uh, eventually, when I finally got out of the goldfish bowl called San Francisco and started to experience these other worlds, my uh, concept of like time and space started to shift. Mm. And, you know, when I come back to like San Francisco, this Bay Area right now, you know, like since I left, it was about uh, just about 20 years ago going down the same childhood streets oh yeah but like it, it's so tiny to me but it, it seemed like it, it took forever to walk anywhere and mm. like san francisco's so tiny right. i didn't know the relativity of that until i lived in san diego and it would take me like an hour to walk from like one place to another mm-hmm. and the closest thing in san francisco is like a couple minutes away right. you know and it was just like <laughs> holy shit man like i just had that like blown away so that like expanded what was um sort of my internal boundaries and my my concepts of space and time and then the more i traveled to like different countries mm-hmm. and seeing how other people lived and like you know what their paradigms were and like right. their their own stereotypes and their own version of reality mm-hmm. and you would have these conversations with people and, and you're just like dude like how are we like fighting each other <laughs> right like we literally just have these perceptions and and i think if more people like actually traveled that and it don't have to be another country just go to the next town right you know have conversations people like speak to people on the bus um, New York was amazing the first time I went to that place, you oh, know? Oh, man, melting pot like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, exactly. My first experience in New York, I, I actually almost had a panic attack. And I, and I don't mean that in like, oh, yeah, I was like, no, 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 full-blown. I, I drove, in a, drove in to Manhattan. Now, keep in mind, I'm from the mountains of Virginia, like West Virginia, Kentucky, North Carolina, like that area of Virginia, not DMV, not DC, <laughs> not where everybody talk. No, no, I come from the from coal country. So when I drove into New York City, it was just the, the biggest, the biggest anything I've ever seen. And then I get into my hotel and I'm like, okay. And then I go out to the streets. I'm like, okay, I got a couple of hours. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experience New York. And I walk outside and I just felt so insignificant. And that was my reality. Like that was my like wow space like time space like 
holy sh- like how did these people do it you know and so it's it, it's really cool story i mean like you're 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 like the plug tony like and i mean that in, in the best way possible like you plug people together and that's what has been so enriching about our relationship is look we've known each other for what almost two years now maybe a year and a half a year and a half yeah and so the first time i met you it but was, we had like a year gap too. you and we had a year gap yeah, <laughs> yeah. so like I, I met you and it was just like Man, this guy just loves life like it's ridiculous like why does he love life so much and then it was i think we just i get a random text message from you i was like some random number hey let's meet up and i was like should i meet up with this dude that i met for five minutes for beers <laughs> And we did. Yeah. And it was it was just so natural. It's just like, yeah, normal. Just do this. And then we sat at that bar for two and a half hours. And then we went back and he put the machine on me and we worked on it. And then my wife's like, who is this crazy guy who you've never talked about coming in here with a suitcase and working on your growing, which is like the most <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like electrifying. Corey, you're in San Francisco. <laughs> like, you move to the Bay Area. Oh, I see. You know, like, <laughs> wife's like from the South. So, you know yeah, how that goes. Yeah. Uh, pride baby <laughs> pride, pride. so my wife's wondering if i'm if i'm going to the pride side which hey, nothing wrong with that yeah nothing wrong whatsoever but my wife is like you're like no no i'm not bi curious i promise you i didn't move, I didn't move out here for this Corey. Uh, to lose my husband in the first month yeah but, we got you were even married yet, yeah, right? we're married. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 you're right man it seems like ages ago but then from that point you gave me a phone, like, we were still chatting, and then you gave me a phone call. And I'll never forget this phone call. It was probably like a seven-month gap from communication. And the feeling I got afterwards is, like, it literally made my day. Like, and I know people say that as, like, oh, yeah, you made my day. But no, no, literally, like, I was singing in the car after that because I was just happy. I'm like, Tony has his effect. Like, what is it about Tony and this effect that he has on people? And so from that point, I'm like, you know what? Whatever Tony does, I'm all in. <laughs> I saw the magic flow bus and then I, all right, I now this podcast and anything you do like I just want to be involved don't follow me off a cliff bro <laughs> <laughs> hey you know what I know you'd save me I know you'd save me I ain't worried about it yeah man well you know I'm just super glad that you took the time to come on the show um, you know it's totally an honor oh no and uh, yeah man I mean all I could say to people is just like go out and live you know connect with other people connect to yourself connect with nature travel man um do what you love life is short right absolutely it's cliche of cl- cliches you know yeah. um but yeah man how can people uh find out more about you Corey? so uh, I'm, I'm pretty stuck on instagram because um, it's easy for me like okay i can e- easily throw up a story or i can make a post and i'm more about sharing so like I don't like using Twitter because, like, well, okay, cool, you, you you wrote a nice inspirational quote. That made me better today. No, I, I just want to express what I do. So I use Instagram a lot. You can follow me at Slush Strength, S-C-H-L-E-S Strength. Um, and, you know, I, I think I have a pretty, uh, a pretty decent uh, or a an Instagram account worth following because I have my bald cats on it all the time. I have my crazy <laughs> wife on it who's beautiful. And yeah, then Jasmine, yeah, right? Jasmine. Yeah. And, then, and then we just lift weights too. So that's cool too. That's cool, <laughs> man. A little more about uh, your your other company, Speakeasy. Oh, yeah. So I'm trying to create this. Yeah, I don't even want a name to it. Yeah, I right? just have a logo right now. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, this thing. <laughs> just a logo. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to create this like Speakeasy of Strength, you know, where... 
it's just word of mouth and you know people just you know they get the merch because they earn the merch it's like hey man you know like if you're you're a product do i earn it man do i earn it (laughs) yeah tony you earned it (laughs) absolutely you should have been the first one should have got it before i got it but uh yeah absolutely so it's like uh you know it's a crazy looking logo so people see it like oh man what is that and then you get the message Right? Yeah. And then it's like, okay. And then that's how you get connected. It's not me trying to go out there and pump my name and, you know, this like, oh, I'm just trying to use you to get money from you or something like that to like promote my living or my lifestyle. No, it's like, it's got to come from this authentic and genuine place and, and this community of, of people where it's like, look, we're all connected because we all have this similar belief or this similar reason. Like a lot of my private clients that I, I can't really talk about because we have this clause, but it's mainly, you know, like it comes from, they wanted something that they saw that I offered via my videos. And they're like, that will make me better. So I want some of that. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. Let me take you through this process. And then they share that. Right. And then, so for me, I want to grow it in that sense, opposed to, it hey, sells itself. Yeah, it sells you sell itself, yourself. For yeah, sure. and yeah, it's not like without oh, selling. Right. Like, <laughs> let me create this video series and then pump it. And it's like yeah. all this superficial stuff where you gotta go out of the way to sell your product. No, it should come. It should grow organically. If it's worth doing, then what, man? You don't have an infomercial? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but if it would, it'll just me flexing the whole time. Just buy this, <laughs> buy that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the beard. The be- it's yeah. got to be about the beard. Yeah. If I don't have the beard, I look like a cancer patient. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, brother. Thank you for coming on to Hangry and Horny, bro. Hangry and Horny. All right. <laughs> Appreciate Tony. you, Tony. Boom. See you, buddy. <laughs> thank you for tuning in, everybody. And a big thank you and shout out to Corey Schlesinger. Uh, awesome episode. We've really gone deep on the strength and conditioning side and its history. And uh, for those of you guys that were a little bit confused about some of that strength and conditioning terminology, like the exercises, the snatch and clean and jerk, no, those are not like sexual positions or moves. Those are actually exercises that are done explosively with barbells. So, uh, yeah, maybe you got to listen to the episode again just to kind of uh, learn these new terminologies that we use in exercise like singles and doubles and triples but uh, that just refers to the amount of times that these exercises are being done the repetitions so Corey thank you so much for coming on to Hangry and Horny that was super fun look forward to doing the next episode maybe you doing some archery as we said and um, yeah thank you brother and a big shout out to fatbomb.com, droppingfbomb.com. Go to their website and order yourself some delicious macadamia-based nut butters. They're awesome for a snack, for on the go, for a light meal. Really clean fat fuel for the body. And uh, use the promo code FLOWREAL. F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L and get 20% off of your first order. Thank you all you beautiful human animals for tuning in and see you on the next episode of Hangry and Orny. Mwah!